Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Y'all can have a seat. I totally forgot to say peace be with you at the nine, so I was like, I'm getting it this time. <laughs> Gonna say it. Uh, well, my name's Neil, and um, I'm a deacon here at Sojourn New Albany. It's good to see you guys. Um, again, as Justin said earlier, pardon our mess as we get prepared to have adult-sized toilets, which there was a guest that I talked to after the service at the nine, and it felt weird promising him that. We're going to have adult-sized toilets. So anyway, like I said, my name's Neil, um, and uh, I'm a deacon here. And uh, just a little background, if you don't know me, um, I'm married to my wife who's sitting over there for nine years, and we have um, five children right now, all girls. Um, so as LeBron once famously said, that's not one. Not to only LeBron fans, right here. Go Warriors, right? But we, yeah, we have five daughters. We've got three biological daughters. We've got two foster daughters. Um, and so, like, I made it this morning. We're we're safe. Like, if you got lots of kids, man, I I'm surprised when you show up anytime. Uh, I'm surprised my wife showed up. Let's be honest, because like she had to do that alone while I was here. Um, but my oldest daughter, who's actually here, I did not expect her to sit in. Well, I preached this the first time, so I'm pointing her out right there. Um, she's, her name's Zoe. She's a gymnast, and uh, she's been doing gymnastics for a while. And, and right now in the summer, she's, they've moved her gym practices from evenings, because, you know, after school, to like bright and early in the mornings, like 8 a.m. a couple of days a week. She's got to get up. And uh, uh, probably last week, maybe the week before, um, we're all getting ready for bed. And I'm sitting downstairs, um, probably helping out by watching TV. And, uh, and she, she comes downstairs and she looks at me and she says, hey, Dad, can I get a snack before bed? Which is a perfectly okay question. But I just told her no. And I told her no because, like, she's got, you know, it's getting late. She's got to go to bed. She's got to get up early. Um, and you know what she did when I told her no and told her to go get dressed for bed? She left and did it. Like, she went upstairs and got ready for bed, which is surprising, right? The first time. Didn't have to ask her twice. But she wasn't staying up there. Like, she came back down about five minutes later. Um, and she was like, all right, Dad, I've got a deal for you. She said, if I can have cake 
tonight, I'll have energy for gymnastics in the morning. Right? Not done. She said, if I don't have cake, you know what that, that will do to my legs in the morning, right? Right? She's thinking this through. Like, cake before bed gives me energy in the morning. Do y'all believe that? Anybody else believe that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She believed it. I wasn't buying it. Again, I, so I, I told her no. I said, you've got to get up early. What's best for you now is sleep. Get some sleep, and if you get some good sleep, you'll probably have enough energy for your legs at gymnastics in the morning, and you'll enjoy it. And the reality is I'm not a bad guy for saying no to cake. Some of y'all might disagree with that, but I'm really not a bad guy for telling her no to cake. The rea- she needed sleep more than she needed cake, but she didn't want to receive that from me. She didn't, she didn't want that. She wanted her own way. She wanted to make her own decision on what would make her, give her the most joy in the moment. What she saw was cake, and I saw sleep. In our text today, we're going to continue looking through the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to focus on joy, um, which I know in a room full of church people might make us a little uncomfortable, because like, we're all carrying a little bit of baggage about joy in here. Like, Are we always supposed to be happy clappy? Are we all supposed to put a a smile on our face, walk around the church with a smile at all times, no matter what's going on in our lives? Like, or are we the, or are we the people that's like, joy will come when we get to heaven. Like, work is to be done now. We'll have fun when we get to heaven. So we're all carrying these sort of beliefs about what we do with joy. But what I hope to show you guys this morning is that in order for us to experience the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. We have to learn to receive it the way that God brings it to us. In other words, we have to learn to believe that God has ultimately defined what is good for us and what will bring us joy in every aspect of life. So the the first way that we see this, the first way that God shows this to us in this text, is he defines joy by, by showing that it primarily exists in the context of relationships. Let's look at verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. See, in this moment, Jesus is trying to get to the disciples, trying to promise them, trying to show them that joy is the heart, that the heart of joy is found in relationship with him, in relationship with others. Starting in chapter 13, Jesus began to tell his disciples that, he, that a major shift was happening in the relationship and in the ministry that they've just been experiencing. He's telling them that I'm about to leave and you can't come with me. This is a big deal to these guys. Because if you put yourself in their shoes, these are guys that left everything they had and went to follow Jesus. And they've been doing it for three years. This, is not, like, this isn't six weeks of following a guy and then he leaves and you're like, okay, I'll go back to what I'm doing. This is three years of dropping everything you have, dropping your your job, leaving your business or whatever, not going to see your family every night, maybe you have kids, leaving everything that you love and following this one man. And he's, he's telling them, I'm leaving now and you can't come anymore. Well, like how would you be feeling about that right now? What? What would it feel like if the most important person in your life sat you down and said, hey, I love you, but I'm leaving and you can't come with me? 
like if it was a spouse or a boss even or a friend or a parent, they set you down, they looked at you and they said, I've got to go, you can't come. I I think if there's one word to, to sum up what's happening in the disciples and what would be happening in our lives, what we'd be feeling and thinking is we would be really confused. And even in this moment, do y'all, do y'all remember what Jesus was telling his disciples last week in chapter 15? Because this is the same discussion. This is not like chapter 15 and then like three days later, chapter 16. Like this is the same discussion. Essentially, he's telling them like, if you're going to have joy, you have to stay with me. Remember, he says, remain in me, abide in me. In other words, don't bail on me. Don't bail on everything that I've taught you. Don't bail on what's going to happen like in the future. Like, I promise you, I've got to go, but don't leave me. Abide in me. And now they're asking themselves, why can't we go with you? Right? So he says, don't leave me. He sits him down, says, I'm leaving. And they're thinking, why can't I go with you? How are they going to remain in him if he's not there anymore? Like up until now, they could like gauge themselves on a literal basis how good they're doing, right? They could wake up every morning and like, where did Jesus go? He went over there. All right, I'm remaining with him. I'm walking with him. Like, where did Jesus sleep? He went, oh, he slept over there. Okay, I'm going to go sleep in the same house. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, they could look on a real basis, literal basis at their own lives and judge and gauge whether or not they followed or stayed with Jesus. And up until this point, they've done it when everyone else has left. Like, how are they going to check that off their box now? Check that off their list. So now they're starting to ask themselves these types of questions, these types of confusing questions of like, what's going to happen to the normal everyday life that I feel right now? Their entire Group is changing, their entire experience of life is changing, and you see it first with Peter in chapter 13. Jesus has just told them that he's leaving after he's washed their feet, and Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Even Peter. He's like, totally ready to go and die. And Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. And what we find out later is that actually Peter wasn't ready to die. He wouldn't have done it anyway. And later Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And finally, here in this section, how do the disciples respond to, telling, to Jesus telling them one last time he's leaving? Well, as some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father? These are deeply confused guys. They're, they, they're not really sure what's going on in their life. They know it's about to change. They know it's about to be different. They don't know why, and they're not really sure what to do. But here's what Jesus is trying to show them. That, that there is a joy that comes from a deep and intimate relationship with a friend and a deep, intimate relationship with him. And he's preparing them. He's saying, after tonight, that's not going to exist the way that you wished it would exist. 
the question I have for, for you right now and for us this morning is how would you respond to that person, that most important person who sets you down, tells you they're leaving? How would you respond in that moment? Or to kind of put it another way, what would you do with the pain in your life in that moment? Like, How would you handle the pain? Where do you go in that moment for comfort? Where do you look for joy? Now, with that in mind, think about the last time that happened. Did it last? How long did that thing, was it, did it, was it even good? Did it even last? Or does it make it worse? See, Jesus is showing us in this section and all throughout the Bible that joy comes from relationship with him and relationship with one another. But it, he's also showing us that joy comes mainly through pain and suffering. And when we are faced with that, most of our reactions don't tend to, they don't end up being what God would want for us. Look at the disciples' reaction here in verse 18. They say, and what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? Like, did you catch that? Did you catch the disciples' response? Re- see it again. It says, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Like, the second way that God shows us that joy, um, or God is trying to define joy for us, is he's trying to show us that when we are faced with pain, our first response is to define joy our own way. To not look to Jesus, but to try to figure it out on our own. Look, like, listen, Jesus is standing and sitting with him right in, like, he's right in front of them. Like, if you're sitting in front of Jesus and he tells you, like, something about your future that's confusing, who are you going to ask? You're going to ask your buddy or are you going to ask him? Like the disciples, they're asking one another. They're not asking Jesus. They're trying to figure it out all on their own. This is the, again, this is the same conversation we read about last week when Jesus tells them to remain in him, to stay with him, don't leave him. And now he's telling them, I'm leaving and you can't go with me. I want us to feel that confusion. Like, wouldn't you want to figure that out? Aren't you, don't you feel tempted to figure that out right now? Like, you've got to figure out what's going on. Wouldn't you want to just get ahead of what Jesus is saying and to try to make sense of all of your life in that moment? I've just got to, if I can just make sense of it all. The disciples are just as confused as we are when we experience pain. And they just want to define what's happening to them. They want to try to keep pain at a minimum and they're trying to brace themselves when it comes their way. But here's the thing. When, when we're faced with suffering and we try to do it our own way, it never leads to joy. And there's typically one of two ways that we respond that way. The first way that we respond dealing with our pain outside of going to Jesus is we try to pretend that it doesn't exist. We try to pretend like the pain's not really there, that it's not going to actually happen. 
we, we try to find a way out of experiencing that pain. What we do with our pain is we say that pain is bad, which means we ought to avoid it. And I'll be honest, this morning, like, I did not want to preach. Not because I don't like preaching, but because, like, I was afraid of, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be terrible. All these things, these lies that are in my mind. And you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to leave. Like, I just, I'm not even going to show up. I'm just going to let you guys figure it out on your own. Just like, y'all do with what, like, that's, that was my initial reaction or what I wanted to do. This type of joy that we're looking for, this type of joy that we're trying to define, uh, is kind of, I would say, is best summed up in the character joy in the movie Inside Out. Anybody seen that? It's a good movie. I like it. But joy is the main emotion of Riley, this preteen girl in a movie. So it's joy and then uh, four other emotions um, in Riley's life. And you kind of get an idea of how these emotions work together and how Riley's life is, is figured out. But joy has made herself the most dominant emotion. It's the first emotion that shows up, right? Y'all remember the movie. And do you know how she's been able to make all of her memories, all of her experiences, everything about her life feel happy and productive and joyful? You remember what she did? Yeah, she, she banishes sadness to the side, right? Sadness can't exist with me. It's got to be me and maybe a few of these other emotions, but definitely not sadness. I cannot have joy if sadness is hanging around. And this is what a lot of us want to do with our lives. Like all joy, no pain. So what do we do? We, we set up barriers. We set up ways in which we don't have to experience pain. We, we don't get connected at church. We don't have friends. We, we tend to live very isolated lives. Or when pain does come our way, we just slap a smile on our face and walk around like nothing's wrong. I remember whenever I like, came, I guess it's probably been two or three years ago, I came home from work and I heard the news that Robin Williams had committed suicide. Y'all remember that? Like that was, I was, I was confused. Like that guy was funny. Like he seemed to have all the joy in life. But there was something under, there was something there that he wasn't willing, I don't know. Dealt with a lot of sadness. In our efforts to avoid pain, we find ways to temporarily numb what we are feeling in hopes that it will just go away. We find ways to hide these feelings so that we can pretend they don't exist. Let me ask, what has avoiding pain gotten you in your life? Like, has it really been worth it? Has it given you the joy that you've really, you're looking for? Are you really looking to Jesus to find your joy? Now, the other way um, we deal with our pain is not avoid joy. We just pretend um, we pretend joy isn't doesn't exist. So, joy one we pretend sadness doesn't exist. One we pretend joy doesn't exist, or like we dull our joy. Right? We lower our expectations so that we don't have to be that sad when suffering comes. And I'm pretty good at this, too. Um, if, ask my wife if she ever gave me a gift. Like, it's kind of like this weird thing where, like, she is super excited for the gift that she gives me, but I'm always like, this is great. Thank you. I appreciate it. And partly because, like, what if she gave me a really bad gift? I just want to be really, really, like, low-key so she never knows whether or not I like it. Like, she can't, right? This is 
I would say this is probably um, the area in which a lot of us in this room live our lives. Maybe we don't know it. I would say that I probably don't have to convince a group of, or a, a room full of reformed evangelical Christians that suffering is going to come. Like that they know suffering is there. I think I would have a harder time convincing y'all that you can have joy. Usually, we ha- a lot of us have an unhealthy delight in suffering, believing that the hardest way is the most righteous, God-honoring way. We say things like, there's work to be done. We can have fun when we get to heaven. In my life, this shows up, or this showed up, I mean, it shows up every day. But a good example is when I was in seminary. And in seminary, like, you have to read a ton of books. Um, and they're not the, the most exciting books. I, I remember the title of one, I don't know if I said it, I'm saying it correctly, but it's like, The Democratic Religion of Southern Baptists, 1785 to 1812 in the state of Georgia. Uh, Just like, I mean, I'm not really sure who has the time to go research these things, but like they they wrote a book on it. And those are the books we're reading. But when people ask me like, how do you like, how do you read so much? How do you read these books? I'd be like, well, um, I like to read those books. They bring me joy. That's not, that's not the truth. Like, (laughs) I enjoy those books, like, in one way, like, okay, cool, I'm learning more information, but it's like, it's drudgery. It's really hard to read a lot of those books. But what, I realized this probably a year before I graduated. I tried to pick up a fiction book, just to give me a break. Just a novel, I'm going to read a novel and see how it goes. Uh, And it was really hard to read. Like, I had not used my imagination in probably two years, probably, like, trying to read a book. And I could not, like, I could not get through it. I had to reread chapters one and two over and over again. It's weird. People like us, we're like glutton for punishment. No pain, no gain, right? But the reality is we're missing out on so much of life. Like, what would life look like if Harry Potter was never written? Would y'all like, yeah, be sad. Somebody already said it. Be sad. (laughs) Or the, like the Lord of the Rings. Imagine, so imagine this. Imagine Broadway if Victor Hugo never wrote Le Miserable. That's a big deal. Like those, that's not the democratic religion of France in 1720. You know what I'm saying? It may feel like it's the right way to live, uh, but if joy for you is always working, like working out or doing the dishes or doing laundry, like, if that's joyful to you, like, you might be someone who thinks joy is not to be found on this side of heaven. Because there's way better things than to do the dishes, I'll be honest. Most of us in this category believe if we're not being productive, then God's not happy with us. And so the only way for us to be able to have joy is if we get all of our ducks lined up in a row. And guys, like how many of y'all have ever done that? How many of y'all have ever gotten to that point where everything's fine and you can now go have fun? For those of us who never take time to experience joy, we have twisted the realities of suffering and pain in our lives. And if, it's, if we're not careful, it will lead us to become rigid people who only complain about the things we hate about everybody else. The good news, though, 
is that Jesus does not leave us, nor does he leave his disciples in this confusing moment of what to do with their pain. Instead, he, he tells them a story, and this is what he says, starting in verse 21. It says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. See, the final way that Jesus defines our joy is he gives us a way to have it forever, starting now. We can experience joy now. The difference about Jesus' joy, though, is that he neither avoids pain, nor does he seek it out as if it's like more holy than joy. Try to imagine what's happening in the story that he's telling. And listen, if you're a dude in this moment, like you cannot have a baby, right? Can't have, like you need, to ask, you need to ask a woman what this is like. They need to help you interpret the Bible. I'm just going to say that right there. Here's what Jesus is saying. The pain that the disciples are about to experience is necessary like the pain a woman giving birth is necessary. They cannot avoid it. It's a sure thing. Because when he leaves, he's, he's going to die. He's, he's not going to jail for a little bit and coming out. He's, he's not leaving to go on a different missionary journey and then coming back in six months. When he leaves, he's going to die and he's got to do it alone. And this is, he's, in verse 20, when Jesus says that they will like weep and mourn, that word mourn literally translates as sad or depressed. He's literally telling them, you're going to be depressed when you see this. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. He's going to, like, they're going to know that it's coming and there's nothing they can do to stop it. He's telling them, you're going to feel this way and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You're going to see this and you're going to be helpless and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You have no power over what's about to happen. But the point of Jesus' story is not to avoid pain. The point of the story of the childbirth is not to avoid pain, nor is it just to stick to pain, to stay obsessed with pain. Because this is how the story ends. He says, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In other words, the joy that Jesus gives us is summed up in this way. Suffering is necessary to experience joy. Suffering is necessary to experience joy. Suffering and joy go together. Rejecting one to get the other or elevating one over the other will not lead to everlasting joy. You cannot have one without the other, and typically suffering comes before joy. But what does he say will lead to everlasting joy? What is he alluding to? the resurrection. It's the resurrection that leads to everlasting joy. And this is why joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so vital to our faith. Because joy that lasts forever comes directly from Jesus. Its source is found only in our connection to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, which means that Jesus is alive. Today, he's alive. Joy is supernatural and its power is not from you and how you have to figure it out. 
Joy only comes through the power of Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we experiencing the joy that Jesus said will last forever? Are you someone who, are, are we avoiding suffering because of the pain it causes? Then your joy won't be complete. Are you obsessed with the hard work of life? Are you obsessed with depriving yourself of joy? Then your joy will not be complete. And a lot of us have no idea or aren't even aware that we're missing out on so much. Whether we're avoiding pain or avoiding joy, we're so consumed with our own agendas, with making sense of the world our own way, that we can't even see that we're missing out on life with Jesus. So let's wake up, maybe for the first time. Let's wake up to the reality that we cannot live this life without the presence of Jesus. You do not have this life figured out one way or the other. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you do not have it figured out. And one of the main points of the Bible is the reality that we cannot, we, we will always fail when we try to do it on our, on our own. But in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus brings, we have a God who not only has forgiven us of every single failure, past, present, future, he has forgiven all of us. He's forgiven you of your failures, but he, he has given you his spirit so that you can live and have life. He literally makes his home inside of you. This is unlike any other news, any other religion, any other belief in the world ever to exist. That God would save you from the failures of your life and then give you himself so that you can live a righteous, God-honoring, joyful, loving, peaceful life that only comes from him. And so how do, we, how do we live in communion with Jesus? Well, verse 24 says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Like, did you hear that phrase? Y'all remember hearing that phrase last week? Your joy will be complete? It's in chapter 15. What did it say last week? It said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's the same thing. So like put those together. You can ask Jesus anything, your joy will be complete. And, what was it? and you love one another and your joy will be complete. That's, so how do we experience joy and communion with Jesus? We follow his lead for our lives and we love one another. How do we love one another as Christ has loved us? That's probably the one question. Like, how do we do that? Well, here's the other good news. If you're a Christian, he has given you his spirit and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. This is how Galatians 5 says, says it. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, 
Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So the path to joy in the Holy Spirit is cut through loving one another, loving the people in your neighborhood that are different than you, loving your spouse when you don't have the power to do it, loving your coworker who gets on your nerves, loving your boss when they don't do the things that you wish that they did. When we're following Jesus, we will find that he will ask us to do what seems to be impossible. He will even ask us to become someone that seems to be impossible. But the hope of the gospel tells us that he does not leave us alone to do it by ourselves. His spirit lives in us. His spirit guides us. His spirit forms us. And he reminds us that no matter where we are in life or no matter what we have done in life, Christ has forgiven us and will be faithful to his promises. And and this is one of Jesus' greatest promises. Earlier this night, this is in this dialogue, Jesus and his disciples had sat down for a meal. And prompted by the Spirit, Jesus took the elements, he took the bread, looking, looking at his disciples, and he broke it. And he said, as often as you gather, eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took the cup of wine. He passes around. He tells them, drink this. This is my blood shed for you. This is how you know you're right with me. This is how you have relationship with me. If you're a Christian in this room, this is what makes you free. Christ's body broken for you, Christ's blood shed for you. It makes you free not to have to figure life out on your own, not to have to figure out the pain that you're suffering, or not to have to avoid the the good things of life because you're afraid of what Jesus might say to you. You don't have to avoid pain anymore because on the cross, pain and suffering and evil do not get the last word but know and believe that joy is a real tangible experience for those who have Jesus. If you're not a Christian, have you seen the results of your sin in your life yet? Have you experienced what it means, the dehydration that sin leaves you with? This is why the the Bible describes Jesus as a fountain of living water. That sin that you experience, that desert feeling, Jesus will give you living water. He is living water. Would you trust him with your life? Would you trust him that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? In just a moment, I'm going to finish praying and we're going to take communion. If you're a Christian, this is your moment to to see and to tangibly know that God loves you, that God is with you, that he loves you and cares for you and has paid for your sins. If you're not a Christian, though, I would ask that you not participate. Instead, take this time to reflect on how your own efforts of happiness and joy have left you. What do you feel? Has it satisfied? If not, would you trust that Jesus does? We'll have stations around the room. We'll have wine and juice. The wine will have twine marked around it. It's our tradition to take the piece of bread and dip it in either one. When it's your time, come. Receive from the Lord. Let's pray.